This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. How's everybody doing now? I'm Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're in the last week of a series that we've called Roots. Really, this series was born out of a a question that I had about my life. Looking over the things of my life, I could see that there were portions of my life that were producing good fruit. They were bearing the fruit that God wanted in my life. And there were parts of my life that weren't. And really going to God and saying, God, what would it take for that to change? We came up with this understanding that we've walked through for the last three weeks that we don't have a fruit problem. It's not that the fruit itself is bad. The fruit is bad because the root is bad. And if we're going to address the things that our lives are naturally producing, we have to look to the root. So to get started today as we wrap this series up, I want to take you back a few years to May 22nd, 2011 in the quiet little town of Joplin, Missouri. It's about five in the afternoon. Now at five in the afternoon on May 22nd, 2011 in Joplin, Missouri, something happened that would not alarm you if you were from Joplin, but for those of us that are here, we would be instantly off center because of its happening. That's that the tornado sirens started going off. Now, Joplin's right in the middle of Tornado Alley. And so because of that, hurricane or tornado warnings are are, are quite common for that area. And so the people really uh, naturally tend to go about their lives because of the frequency of that happening. But this was not a normal day. On the east side of town, near I-44, an EF-5 tornado with wind speeds that measured higher than 300 miles an hour. A tornado that's devastation was more than a mile wide began to form. As a matter of fact, this is the Army Corps of Engineers rendering of the path that the tornado took as it moved from the east through the downtown area of Joplin, dissipating to the west. In just a few minutes... This tornado that was a mile wide created almost $2.5 billion of damage. It's the costliest storm in U.S. history, the costliest tornado ever. So when the storm sirens started going off and the news started coming in, people started to take notice. So we're going to center our attention for this story in this one little spot. It's right to the northern edge of the devastating path of this tornado. We're actually going to be looking at the Fast Trip gas station. See, behind the counter that day was a man named Reuben Carter. Reuben was 35 years old, working the cash register at a gas station and living at home with his mom and dad. See, I think that if we hear those stats, we kind of get an image in our mind as to who he would have been, but Reuben's not really that guy. See, Reuben has an undergraduate degree in psychology. He's halfway through his master's work, working towards a a counseling degree 
when some health issues forced him to hit pause on his life. And so he came home to stay with his mom and dad for a while while those health issues were being sorted out. And to make a little money, he went to work at the gas station. You see, this is an interesting spot because right down the road is a Home Depot and there's several other major stores that are around there. And as people were making their commute in, and this storm began to hit the radio and the skies went from blue to red to green, people knew something serious is happening in Joplin. And so families, one by one, stopped at this convenience store, looking for shelter, looking for hope. And Reuben took them in. And he began to position everyone along the back edge, near the drinks, away from the glass front. And as the sky went from green to black, and the wind began to pick up, and the inevitability of the storm became apparent, Reuben noticed that the structure of the building was compromised. And in a split second, they made a decision to get everyone in an area that he thought they might be safe, the beer cave. So tucked away with the Coors and Coors Light and Miller Light and the Miller High Life were 20-something people huddled in there. And just as Reuben shut the door, the fronts of the gas station ripped off. See, I think that moment, that moment is a moment that we all can identify with. And if you can't identify with it right now, just wait. There's a storm coming. See, there's a storm that's coming into all of our lives. Your lives are going to be impacted by a storm. And if we don't get the roots right, when the storm blows in, our lives will be blown over. So what I want to do today is to go back to John 15, where we started this whole series, and I'll pull out two principles that have to be present in our lives if we're going to outlast the storm, if our lives are going to stand through those difficult moments. So let's go back. John 15, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Unless you Remain in me. You see, the first principle, and we're going to take these two principles and pull them out and come back and examine them. The first principle that we see here is that we've got to be planted. We've got to be planted. We have to be rooted in Jesus, but we have to be rooted and remain in Him. 
That's what it means to be planted, that we must be rooted and remain in Him. But the second principle is apparent in this passage as well. And that's that we must be pruned. We must be pruned. And I think the statement that Jesus makes here is one that for me seems counterintuitive. He says, if you're the branch that's bearing fruit, the Father, the gardener, will prune you so that you bear even more fruit. Think, think about that with me. He, he's saying, if, if life looks good, get, get ready. Pruning's going to happen so that you can bear even more fruit. So let's continue. John 15 in verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burn. But when you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I, I want you to see something about the fruit that God has called our lives to produce. And we talked about this in an earlier message that the Bible identifies the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of those are things that our lives should be producing. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. All right? And I think that oftentimes when we talk about fruit, what we try to do is reverse engineer fruit. We want the fruit. But see, the thing about fruit is, is that you don't have to coax an apple tree into making apples. You don't have to chalk a blueberry bush into producing blueberries. The reason is, is that if it's healthy, it naturally produces its fruit. See, the fruit of the Spirit is designed to be naturally produced in our lives. If we have a healthy relationship with God, if we're planted in Him, if we're pruned by Him, we will naturally produce that fruit. And that fruit will bring glory to God. See, here's the thing. Every one of us is going to endure a storm. All of us are. If you're not in the storm right now, get ready. It's coming. That's comforting today, isn't it? Y'all came expecting to be encouraged and go home thinking, there's a storm coming. All right. All right. But when you go through the storm and your friends and your family sit back and they go, I have no idea how you have peace right now. Well, I have peace because God alive inside of me is giving me peace. I have no idea how you're being patient in this circumstance where I'm being patient because God alive inside of me is giving me the capacity to be patient. See, when we hit those moments and people look at us and they see that fruit, 
They see the life that God intended for us to live. They sit back and, and wander, and somehow in that moment, God gets glory from the fruit that our lives are producing. So I'd like to step back to that cooler in Joplin, Missouri. See, there's something that happened in the middle of that cooler as that EF5 tornado was blowing over them. And it would probably not be documented, but through the grace of God, we have little things called uh, iPhones nowadays, right? And the majority of news, this is interesting, that, that we get from breaking headlines. Typically now the footage doesn't come from cameramen that run in. It comes from people who have their iPhone, they pull it out and they take a video of it. And in the back of that store was a young man who just landed there with his best friend. They were a lot like some of y'all, you know, when your friends come in town, you don't want to just hang out at the house. So what do you do? We live out in the country. They just went out, decided to ride around for a little bit, talk. But as the storm began to get significant, they found themselves trapped in that area. And that gas station was where they decided to ride it out. And he pulled out his phone and recorded the whole thing. So I'd like you to watch as this group of 20-something experience an EF5 tornado bearing down on top. Watch this video with me. It's crazy. Uh, no, they haven't yet. The sirens aren't going. But yeah, they did. What? Yeah, they Dude. did. That's, that's like we were coming crazy. in here. This did. is getting real. real. Someone in. two best friends and in an interview after this he said you know in that moment I realized that every one of us in that core was in the same circumstance we're all in the same mercy right if we made it we'd make it together if we didn't we wouldn't make it together he said in in that moment instead of being afraid I actually felt love for everybody that was in there and I wanted to tell my best friend that I loved him. And I wanted everyone to know if it was the last thing that they ever heard, I wanted them to know that they were loved. See, when it comes to being rooted, 
planted. Ephesians 3 has this odd little statement in it where the Apostle Paul praying for you, praying for me, says, I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. In Ephesians 3.17, that you would be rooted and established in love. And I think that that is one of the most difficult things in all the Bible to understand. So if we're going to be planted, we have to be planted in love. But I want you to see how our roots and love collide together. The first statement that I'm going to spend quite a bit of time trying to explain to you is this, that love's grow, love will grow in our roots, but our roots do not grow into love. Love grows into our roots, but our roots do not grow into love. See, in life, roots are established through devotion, not affection. Roots are established through devotion, not affection. And I want you to see this in the words of Jesus. We're just going to continue on in the same statements that he's been making. Right, so back to John 15, now we're in verse 9. Jesus says this, I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love. If you will remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in. In my love, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. See, I think that because of the ambiguity of the language that we use, many of us have confused what love is. Jesus, in that verse, gives you a definition of love. Love is devotion. Love is obedience. It is not affection, but affection will grow into it. Love is devotion. Jesus says, if you want to be, if you want to experience my love, keep my commandments. Be obedient. Which is why we live in a world where it's so confusing because people will say, I love Jesus. But when you sit back and you look at the fruit of their lives, it is not the fruit of the Spirit. And what they're saying is, I like Jesus. I like Him. I'm affectionate towards Him. But can I tell you something? If you're affectionate towards something, but not committed to it, that's not love, that's lust. 
And far too many of us have not been committed to Jesus. That's what it takes to be planted, to be rooted into him, is to obey him. This idea is, is uh, an idea that we find out throughout the, the entire uh, entirety of Scripture. I mean, from the very beginning to the very end. Th- this is the, the kind of background to all the talk that Jesus gives us, that if we can be obedient to Him, our obedience will transform our hearts and our beliefs. That's the next thing in your notes. Obedience transforms our hearts and our beliefs. And I think that when we look at it, probably in the entirety of Scripture, there's more that God talks to us uh, in the context of money than maybe in any other context. So I really want to use that not just to talk about money, but more to talk about this principle, that obedience will transform our hearts. Our hearts do not transform often our obedience. Y'all with me in this? So let's look at this. Jesus teaching Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store for treasures or store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the teaching of Jesus, especially in this moment, is to understand that where we give to, the places that our money goes to, will affect and transform our hearts. It'll change how we feel. Isn't that exactly what God is doing in Malachi 3 where he's teaching us to tithe. And he says, Here, here's what's been happening. You haven't been tithing. Basically, I, I want you to understand that's robbing me. But here's, here's what will happen. If you'll give, I'll bless you. But see, that knowledge of God's blessing is not enough to motivate us to give. So God says, well, go ahead and try it and test me. Because your behavior will transform your heart and your beliefs. Go, test me. See if it's not real. So we try it. And all of a sudden we see God is providing. I didn't believe it. But now I believe it because I've seen it. And as we start to give to the kingdom of God, all of a sudden we start to care about the kingdom of God. Because now the flow of our resources has been allocated towards the kingdom of God. And where our treasure is, there our hearts are also. This is something that you live with in all your life. And it's one of those things that I think in our culture we have blown. That we think that what God wants is God wants more of our affection. But God doesn't want your affection. He wants your obedience. To the tune that in the Old Testament God would say, it, it is Better to obey than to try to sacrifice. In other words, 
You think all your fancy words and praise and all your cute Facebook posts and reposts and reblogs and all of that kind of stuff matters. No, be obedient. Because obedience will transform your hearts and your beliefs. Obedience will plant you into the things of God. And we need to be planted. You see, in that cooler, in that moment when that young man bust out that, I love you, I love all of you, really what's naturally happening is that there's this common foundation for all of them. And that commonality, that common root is producing love. When we choose to obey God, real, lasting devotion begins to grow. There are some of you in this room that understand this in a way that many of us can't because you've been married for 20, 30 years. And if I were to ask you to describe your love and affection for each other now compared to where it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you would say it's nothing like it was. Because the continued obedience and devotion to each other has strengthened the roots that are there. We need to be planted the same way into Jesus. And the second principle is that we need to be pruned. John 15, 2, Jesus says, He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce any more. See, again, I feel like that's a counterintuitive statement, that if it's producing, leave it alone. But Jesus says, no, the Father will begin to prune those things that are even doing well so that they can be better. We need to be pruned to produce. So I want to give you two things that connect to the discipline of God. And it comes out of Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 12, the Bible is kind of comparing our relationship to God to our relationship as parent to our children. How many of y'all know that if you've got some kids, occasionally you just got to whoop that butt, right? This has got to happen. You can't get away from that. That butt's just got to get whooped, right? My son is a lot like my wife. He inherited the hangry genes. Anybody got hangry genes running their family? Y'all know what hangry is, right? It's a combination between hunger and anger. People get irrationally crazy when they're hungry. That's my wife, right? Sweet, loving, and then gets hangry and it's like, whoa, what, what flip just switched in you? I don't even know, right? My, my son, so my son will get, get real hungry and kind of ornery and he'll come up to the stove and cooking dinner and he's trying to reach up there and get something to eat and you know, we got to whip that butt because there's a, a burner up there. And he might get his little hand burnt when he reaches up to get him some food. And see, the thing is, I think that in that moment, that's got to be a confusing place to be. I, I know you guys want to feed me. I know there's food up there. Why are you whipping that butt? <laughs> I mean, really. And I think that in life sometimes... We get confused about the discipline that God gives us. So I want to give you two things that are important to know about the discipline of God. Number one, God disciplines us because he loves us. And as Hebrews 12 begins to kind of unpack the discipline of God, it connects the love that we experience as a parent 
with our kids and the discipline that we give our kids with the discipline that God gives us. How many of y'all know you've been, at moments in time, you look a lot like a little kid that needs that butt whooped, right? You've been there. And because God loves us, He disciplines us. Isn't that a good thing? How many of you look back in life and you are so thankful that at some moment God said no to the things that you wanted? I am. Man, I'm so thankful that at times God showed up and said, no, uh That's not for you. God disciplines us because he loves us. And then number two, God's discipline is designed to produce a harvest. God's discipline is designed to produce a harvest. Hebrews 12, 11. In the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. How many of y'all know that's true? It's painful. It's not pleasant. But later, look, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God disciplines us because he loves us. And he disciplines us. Because we will produce more fruit through that. I want to take you back to that little cooler in the middle of Missouri, in the middle of an EF5 tornado. This is the second to the last family that showed up to the gas station that day. The young man in the striped shirt, his name is Tanner. At the time, Tanner was 11 years old. He was on his way home with his family from a baseball game, still had his baseball uniform on, was dirty all over because he had played hard. And as the situation began to unfold, his dad, who's standing in the back, his dad's just a good guy, like many of you. He's the guy who helped Ruben take charge of the whole store, as you saw the video just a moment ago. He's the one with the, the cell phone flashlight lighting away for Ruben to go let that last family in. So as the people were crammed into the beer cave, they were some of the first to get put in there, and Dad was one of the last. In the moments that followed, there was a young man, actually the guy with the cell phone camera, fell over and fell on top of Mom and the two boys. She thought he was trying to save them and use his body as a shield. He just said, I just fell over and didn't know what to do. But he laid there, and as light began to trickle in, the cooler had been ripped in places, and it was starting to get pelted with large objects. And there Tanner was on the bottom, holding a golf ball-sized piece of hail and looking up and smiling. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm in the middle of a tornado and it starts hailing, I'm just thinking, all right, this is over with. <laughs> Life's done. It just went from, like, bad to worse. But see, something's interesting about him. For the last year, he had worn out the library and his library card with his mom traipsing him back and forth, checking out every book that he could find on tornadoes. 
being from the middle of Tornado Alley, he was somewhat interested in them. And he had read every book in the library on tornadoes. And he knew that with large tornadoes on the back end of them, the storm typically produced hail. So when he was holding that golf ball-sized piece of hail, he knew the end was almost there. He knew we'd made it. See, I think there's some of us today that we're in difficult situations and we're looking around going, God, why have you left me alone? And he's saying, can you just open your eyes and see what I'm doing inside of you right now? Just let me work in you. Let me change you. Because there's goodness to be seen. So I want to take you to a story that many of you have heard. Because we all have a storm that's coming. Some of our storms are a little bit like hurricanes. We can forecast them. We know they're coming. Partly because we've been stupid and we deserve it. But a lot of our storms are going to be like this storm in Joplin. They're going to come out of nowhere. And we're not going to be ready for them. We're not going to be able to forecast it. It's just going to come and blindside us. And the question is, are you ready? And Jesus told this story in Luke 6. A story about two men who had prepared their homes for the storm. And he says this beginning in verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house, it could not shake it because it had been built well. The question today is, do you have the roots to survive? A storm. Has your life been built well? Are you like the man who came to Jesus, heard his words, and obeyed him, and built your life on the rock? Or is your life in this moment built on the sand? The storm is coming. Will you be able to survive it? Let's pray. God, today, many of us, in this moment, realize that our lives have been built on a shady foundation. And we ask you, God, that through your mercy and grace right now, you would come and rescue us from that. Build us up onto the rock. Let us be rooted and established in love. The kind of love that obeys your commandments, that stays in your commandments, that rests in your presence, God. Let us be rooted and planted in you. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you today. If you're the person that's here and you say, you know what? My life has been rooted and established in my own way. I haven't done things the way that I know that God wants me to. I've ran from even asking Him what I should do because I just want to do it my own way. But today, 
I can see that a storm is coming. And I'm not prepared for it. If you're that person, all you have to do is turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm willing to be the person that will follow you. I will keep your commands. I will remain in your love. I will be the branch that is connected to your vine, God. So take me. Jesus, be my roots. If you're here and you want to say that today, raise your hand. You're here. Awesome. Awesome. So God, for those hands, those lives that just said they want you to come and rescue them, God, we just ask you today to help us to be obedient. God, help us to live lives that follow you. For your glory, God. God, we love you. We want to be the people that you've called us to be. So God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for failing you. Forgive us for letting the roots of our lives grow into things that are good, but as our roots grow into them, they become evil because they're not you. God, come today and rescue and redeem us for your glory, for the glory of your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.